Our scripture reading this morning is out of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Father, you are good, and uh, we are so grateful that you have given us a good word to hear, to listen, to refer to in the Bible. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to the cross. We thank you for the work that you've done for each of us out of your great love and sacrifice. Holy Spirit, we ask now as we open these pages that we might feel your breath upon our face. Speak to us, teach us, guide us into all truth now, we pray. Amen. Amen. Gary Smalley, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in one of his uh, relationship books, shares the story of uh, a man named Greg and his wife Erin. Erin uh, was working late one night and uh, Greg really enjoyed, uh, he was home, didn't have a lot to do that evening, had some energy, and, and he enjoyed a little variety in the house, meaning he liked to go into different rooms and rearrange furniture from time to time and to give the place a fresh feel and to enjoy being there. And uh, so his wife, uh, working late this particular night, he decided to do that, uh, to take his particular interests and skills right into the master bedroom. So he begins to readjust the bed, put it against a different wall, and uh, move the dresser, and rehung pictures, and shelving, and all sorts of things. And uh, when he was done, he looked back, proud of his work, turned the light off, and went to bed. Well, his wife comes home, <clears throat> being the, the great person that she was, uh, didn't want to disturb her husband, who was sound asleep, and came into the bedroom, not turning on the light, and of course, she kicks her shin into the table that wasn't there when she left, and she stumbles into some antique skis that were leaning against the wall, and those skis then fell over onto the bookshelf, which then began to crush and crumble and turn into dust some of her most uh, prized figurines. And those figurines, as they began to crumble and fall off the shelf, fell upon poor Gary's head while he lay slumbering sweetly. And in his uh, start, he jumped out of bed and threw his legs off the side of the bed and began to run and smacked his face right into the wall because he wasn't accustomed to the new arrangement either and began to bleed from his nose. Uh, an evening of unexpected uh, confusion, uh, which turned into all sorts of, uh, as you can imagine, marital conflict and all sorts of trouble, especially for Gary. Well, conflict and confusion can beset any relationship, can it not? It uh, is something that we deal with because you are human. And uh, whether it's marriage, and uh, within a marriage, having a consistent lack of understanding for your spouse's needs, and uh, over time it strains love and begins to choke hope. Maybe at work you uh, have a glory hound who um, every time praise is warranted, uh, that person steps forward and claims the praise when others have all also done great work yet uh, seem to get overlooked. Maybe in school there is isolation that can result when peers uh, work at sabotaging your 
reputation. Even in the church, this idea of confusion in relationships and conflict that results and the trouble that can be set uh, undermines the very nature and essence of service, of giving your life to others, and dissolves unity and just cuts people. But how can we focus ourselves this morning in a way that we can step into our relationships and gives us a a focus on providing life and doing good in these relationships? Well, I'm glad you asked. Good question. Because that's precisely what God's Word instructs us about today. The issue is sowing and reaping. Putting a seed in the ground and waiting and watching to see what happens. It's about where we plant and what we plant with our lives. God is aware of your life. God is present. Whether you are aware of His presence or not, God knows what's happening. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What a person reaps is that which he has sown. What happens in this life has consequences. Your actions affect you and others. Your life will be evaluated. Sometimes that evaluation is done during your years on earth. Even if it's not, it will definitely be done when your days are up. Sowing and reaping. Gardeners and farmers know that when you take a seed or you take a bulb and you put it in the ground... That seed contains everything that is needed for it to produce what is inside of itself. You will not plant uh, that which will become a pear tree and it become anything other than a pear tree. You will not plant that which is destined to become a lily and it will become anything other than a lily. That which is in you will come out of your life. And therein is one of the questions for this morning. Is how is it that you fill or allow your life, your mind, your heart to be filled with the presence of God in a way that shapes you so that you might be one who sows to the Spirit instead of the sinful nature? So what is the importance of Spirit-led living? That really is our question. Well... The Bible begins by uh, describing uh, this, a man reaps what he sows, the one who sows to please the sinful nature from that sinful nature will harvest destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will harvest eternal life. This is how God has designed our lives. He's designed it in the physical realm, and it is also true in our spiritual lives and in our relational lives with one another. Just as uh, in the story of Gary and his wife, the rearranging of furniture produced confusion and disorientation and ultimately conflict, so too when, when we sow to the sinful nature, it is rooted in theological confusion. In chapter 1 of Galatians, the Apostle Paul says this, um, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He would say this a couple of other times as well. You see, if you and I neglect the centrality 
And the primary place of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, if somehow we put that into a secondary category in our life, in your life, it is something that puts you on a path towards sowing to the sinful nature. If you refuse to walk in a pattern and to humble yourself and to put yourself into a process of spirit-led discipleship, then you are in the process of short-circuiting that which God has put in place. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The word mocked literally means to turn your nose up at. To say, hmm, I don't need that. God, I don't need you. God... What sort of advice is this? Are you kidding? Do you really know what's happening in this relationship? Do you really get the difficulty I have at work? What in the world, God, could you bring into this real situation of my life? And so the temptation is to turn your nose up at God and to look somewhere else for resolution or for a path to be walked in. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. So what is sowing to the sinful nature? In uh, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives uh, a very descriptive list. Certainly not an exhaustive list, but a descriptive list. He says in verse 19 of chapter 5, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, and the like. In other words, I could go on, but do you get this is a picture, it's a composite of what sowing to the sinful nature and the actions involved with that look like. So there's a description we are given. What else? In verse 26, he points to one of the issues with sowing to the sinful nature and the destructive quality that it has in relationships, particularly in the church, is the idea of arrogance and spiritual arrogance, which is an inward disposition. He says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see, spiritual arrogance seemed to be part of the issue in the churches that uh, made up, that were um, involved in the region of Galatia. Most likely this was a a letter that was written to a series, a group of churches in a particular geographic area. And some, as they tried to work out, what does this spiritual life mean? Some, as they would begin to connect the the reality of the Christian life with that which had come before um, and the roots out of uh, Jewish life, They would look back at things like the Ten Commandments and they would say, well, these are regulations that God has put upon Jewish people. And if I'm going to be a really good Christian, I must first step into and live under all of these same rules that that God had instructed for the Jewish people that are lined out in the Old Testament. And then they would say, ha, because of that, because I can fill in every bubble on my list of do's, and I can avoid those on the list of don'ts, that makes me wonderfully acceptable to God. Do you see? So then, if I am doing that, and Glenn is not, then I can stand, it's good that I'm up tall today, I can stand here spiritually arrogant over Glenn and say, well, what about you? Why aren't you like me in walking in this path of legalistic, 
It's a dead end. Now, very likely, there were others who came along and said, Hey, Jesus didn't come to put a mantle of extra burdens over us. Instead, he came to set us free. That sounds great, right? And if I am free, then how in the world could you possibly look at me and say that you expect anything out of my life? Hey, I, I'm free. I live the life I want to live because I am free. Now, these are two opposite extremes. In the Apostle Paul, God, through him, is telling us that we are to be focused on a life that is not sowing to the sinful nature, but instead is sowing unto the Spirit. Do you follow what I'm saying? Therein was the difficulty in the Galatian church. Could you imagine in this group of churches, might there have been conflict between the churches? Some saying, look at the list and how well we keep it. And others saying, we have no expectations of how we're supposed to live. And they would point at each other and say, look how spiritual we are. And this arrogance could so easily be embedded in individual lives and in churches. And the irony is, is that in their presumed maturity, which led to their arrogance, arrogance, it reveals the actuality of the distance that they were living, distance being separated from the true ways of Jesus. So what are the sowing to the acts of the sinful nature? There are also results. Hosea in chapter 8 has a very descriptive term. He says, those, the one who would sow the wind will reap the whirlwind. In other words, if you uh, live a life of stirring up trouble and live a life of dissension and, and causing wedges in your relationships and with others, the result is that the harvest of that life is going to be the storm. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what he sows. What is the result of sowing to the sinful nature according to Galatians? It says that they will reap destruction. Literally, it's the word uh, that points to the idea of decay. It's as if, if you were to step into around that person's life and you drew a deep breath through your nose, you would smell the stench of a decaying corpse. That's a descriptive term, isn't it? But so is the life of the one who chooses to sow to the sinful nature. What is harvested out of that life is one of decay and corruption and destruction, ultimately eternally separated from God. Well, if that's what sowing to the sinful nature looks like, and a beautiful picture it is, right? Would you like to hear and talk a little bit about what sowing to the Spirit might look like? No? All right, well, have a great day. Um, Let's look at what sowing to the Spirit looks like. The story is told about a father in Turkey whose six-year-old son was buried under six feet of rubble following an earthquake. Concrete, rebar, bricks. The father rushed to the school where his, his son was. He went to the place where he thought the classroom should be, and he began to dig, and he began to dig. People tried to dissuade him, and he said, Get out of my way, I'm digging. I'm looking for my son. And he dug, and he dug, and he dug. And after 40-some-odd hours of digging, 
hands bloodied. He hears a voice. And guess whose it is? His son's. And he says, Daddy, is that you? Says, yeah, honey, I'm here. And then he hears his son tell some of his other friends. He said, see, I told you my dad would come for us. And there he was. My friends, that's exactly what Jesus has done in the cross for you. He has come looking for you. He has come to dig through the rubble of the sin and the wreckage and the destruction of life and your choices that we all share. This isn't about us versus you or me versus anybody else. It's about all of us in that same reality. For each one of us, God in Christ has come to move the destructive reality of the earthquake of sin and to throw off concrete blocks and and to remove the rebar that traps us down and to say, I am here to rescue you. And that is the ultimate reality. And the function of the cross is so that in the death of Jesus, he might purchase from you all of those things, all of those choices that are dishonoring to God so that you might now be freed To live a life that sows unto the Spirit. That is, my friends, the call of God. You see, where sowing to the sinful nature is rooted in theological confusion, sowing to the Spirit is rooted in theological clarity. Jesus said, if anyone would want to come after me, learn to do life the way that I know how to do life, Jesus says, that one needs to take up their cross every day and come and follow me. The Apostle Paul in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. And if I can add to it, who dug through the rubble of my life and sin to reach his hand down to rescue me. What is sowing to the Spirit? Sowing to the Spirit is about relationships. If we're to take the whole book of Galatians and look at it together. The idea of sowing to the Spirit begins with humility. If part of sowing in the sinful nature is uh, arrogance, part of sowing in the spirit is humility. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only after your own interests, but also to the interests of of others. Sowing to the Spirit involves humility. Sowing to the Spirit also involves gentle, loving accountability. Earlier in chapter 6, we hear, brothers, if anyone, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should squash him like a bug. It's not what it says. If any, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual not spiritually arrogant or conceited, but you who understand your spiritual, true spiritual self in light of Christ, you who are spiritual should restore him with anger. No. You should restore him with um, scorn. No. The scripture says that you are to restore him 
gently. You do it out of love, out of concern, out of gentle, loving accountability. This is a marker of sowing to the Spirit. Do not be deceived. You will reap what you sow. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that sinful nature reaps destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Humility, gentle accountability, theological clarity. How about doing good? Verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. To all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Doing good involves seeking to become a minister of peace. To seek peace in your relationships with one another, to become one of God's ambassadors into your world, so that you might describe the peace that each person might have between themselves and God, to become a minister of peace, To serve them with no strings attached. Isn't that nice to be served when you know nothing's really expected back because of that? To become someone like that who does good while you have opportunity to do so. Sowing in the Spirit also involves regularly examining your life before God. In the Old Testament, the quintessential faithful person that people would look back to was King David. Now, certainly not a perfect man. He was a man of faults, but a man who's described after God's very own heart, a man who was passionately pursuing the relationship that God had invited him into and established with him. But after David and after Solomon, uh, as you read through the books of the kings, you, you see just a whole line of sorry leaders for the nation of Israel. Time and time again, Rehoboam was one of them, but time and again, they would abandon the worship that God had invited them into and began to replace it with all sorts of different sorts of uh, ideas and concepts. They would take spiritual practices that, that really were in, that were contrary to the relationship with God that, that were practiced by the people in the land where they moved to and they would incorporate them. They would build shrines and high places and uh, do all of these detestable things that involved child sacrifice at, at times and, I mean, just went to some really dark places. Rehoboam was one of those, and part of what uh, God did along the way um, to to call the people back was when Rehoboam was king in Judah, uh, God sent the the king of Egypt to come up, and and in that process of of visiting um, militarily the the Israelites, he came and uh, he took away all of their uh, expensive um, uh, values and treasures the, the objects of worship, the things that Solomon... You remember Solomon's reputation was one of wealth and splendor. And movies and books have been written about the hunt for King Solomon's mines. Wouldn't that be great? King Solomon, his kingdom was described in all of this grandeur. Well, the Egyptians came and stole all of that. The, the description in 1 Kings 14 is about Rehoboam and uh, the uh, golden shields that had been uh, constructed during uh, Solomon's day were stolen by the Egyptians. You know what Rehoboam's response was? So you've got all this spiritual activity happening. Now these trappings of their religious life that really was, was deadening because of all of this other stuff, 
these trappings, these objects, these symbols were stolen, Rehoboam's decision and uh, response was, well, let's just make new shields, but instead of making them out of gold, we'll make them out of brass. Not nearly as expensive, not nearly as good. But you know what? When Rehoboam would walk from his uh, um, house to the temple, he would have his uh, guardians come out and hold those shields in all of this pageantry because he wanted to sort of pretend like nothing was wrong. Everything was going to just march on as usual. And it wasn't. It was a deadening reality inside the soul of the people that was expressing itself in all sorts of alternative ways. And uh, they would just kind of blindly moved along, business as usual. And God would speak into that and speak into your heart this morning, if that may describe you in any way, of saying, you know what? If your heart is far from me, you cannot continue business as usual. Coming to church every day and just being here That's not the life that God calls you to. Yes, this is part of the life, but simply doing that is not what leads you into the life. You see, if you and I are to sow in the Spirit, we have to regularly examine our life before the Lord, asking Him where we need to grow and how to do that. What are the results of sowing in the Spirit? Well, He gives us one of the great uh, great known lists in the Bible. Uh, chapter twenty, uh, chapter five, verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of a life that has been sown in God. That is the life God has called you to. What else? For the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap. Eternal life, the forever life that God prepares and offers to you, not by right, but as a gift. God's gift to you because of your faithful response to him. He seals it for that time. I want you this morning to think about your life as a seed. And a seed that when you are planted and where you are planted, what emerges out of the life that is your seed, that seed that is your life, right? What is in the seed, once it's planted in a particular place, that is what is going to come out. That is the law of the gardener and the sowing. What is in your life, as what comes out of your life as you're planted in work, as you're planted in your home, as you're planted at school, as you're planted in this church, as you're planted in your community in Mill Valley or Tiburon or Nevado or somewhere else in Marin or in San Francisco, wherever your life is planted today, wherever your life might be planted a year from now, what is coming out? What is emerging? Do you sow to the spirit or to the sinful nature in your marriage, in your workplace, where you go to school, in your friendships here in this church? We'll close with this. In Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, he uh, opens it by uh, describing uh, a family that is in some conflict. There are five siblings. Um, One of them is named Frank. Um, Frank had had some uh, developmental uh, challenges over time and had never left the home in which he was born. When his mother was um, in failing health the last couple of years of her life, he was the one there faithfully caring for her. 
And um, when she passed, she had written in her will, out of concern for Frank, that the four other siblings, uh, they were willed the, the farm, the house, and that they ought to do what they needed to do in order to take care of Frank. Well, two of the siblings, a brother and a sister, show up, and in the opening scene of the story, they're knocking on the door... And Frank on the other side, they're asking, Frank, unlock the door. And he stands on the other side with a baseball bat. And he says, if anybody comes through this door, there is going to be pain. Not a good picture, right? So I was, I was listening. Um, and uh, they, the brother and sister finally leave. And um, uh, the sister had met a pastor at a church who uh, she knew was uh, interested in, in conflict resolution. So she brought the other siblings, four of them, to come and meet with him. And he listened to them and heard the story. And, um, and he said, well, what do you propose to do? And um, they said, well, mother's will was that we take the farm and the house and we sell it. And we do what we need to do for Frank, to help Frank. We've got a, a particular place where we want him to live. And on down the list they went, and which was perfectly, uh, in some situations, could have been okay and, and right. And, and, but it was causing great conflict and great confusion in the midst of their family and their relationships. And uh, the pastor stepped back and said, well, let me ask you a question. What, what do you think in this situation, based on the attitudes of your hearts, now not necessarily the decisions, but the attitudes of your hearts, how do you think the difference, you're all professing to be Christians, how do you think the difference between your Christian response in this situation would be to that of an atheist? And they said, well, I don't know what you mean. So he asked the same question. And so within about 15 minutes, they began to think and talk together and realized, wow, you know, we got so caught up in, in certain uh, thoughts and choices and decisions we thought had to happen that we had moved into sowing to the sinful nature for them in that situation instead of sowing to the Spirit. So about four weeks later, they invite Frank to a banquet. Frank hadn't been out of the house in years. So nervously, he walks into the restaurant and he sits down at the table and they had invited cousins and aunts and uncles, and big family time was there. And there, each of his siblings, Frank's siblings, stood up. And one by one, they said, Frank, I want you to know that I, I appreciate so much your caring for mom during the last years of her life. You were the one who was there faithfully and consistently, and I am so grateful to you. Thank you. One by one, they did that. And then when they were done, they pulled out an envelope and they handed it to Frank and he opened it and they explained to him what was in it. And uh, they said, Frank, we, we've all come to a decision as mom left the decision to us. They said, we, we want you to know that as long as you are alive and as long as you want to, you can stay and live in this house. We've made arrangements for the farmland because that's not something you need. And Frank began to cry because he, he felt and was in touch with the love and the care and the compassion that they had for him. And uh, their relationships together were closer than they had been in decades. All because they had made a simple choice for them to examine the attitudes of their hearts and the, how they were motivating their decisions and chose instead to sow to the spirit instead of to the sinful nature. My friends, that is, I believe, what God's desire is for this community. This community of faith is that each one of us, can you imagine if each one of us regularly helped each other to sow lives unto the Spirit with humility and with gentle accountability and with modeling that before others and with embracing relationships that God has placed between us as brothers and sisters in Him.
That is my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, my prayer for this church. So that as we have opportunity, you and I, together, might do good to all people, especially to those who are here in this community of faith. Father, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for um, the call that you have placed to us, the reminder that you are not to be mocked, that you pay attention, that we will reap what we sow, that if we sow to the sinful nature from that nature, we will reap destruction. However, if we sow to the Spirit, from your Spirit, we know that we will reap eternal life. Father, I pray that you might uh, deal in our hearts this morning, that we would be quick to respond in any way uh, that you would call us to. So from this moment now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.